Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Good morning, everyone. Shannon back with you for another Tuesday episode. Today, I will be sharing an interview that I did several months ago with author Julia Argy. And we talk about her novel, The One, which deals with reality TV dating. So definitely take a look at that. And at the end of that interview, I will, of course, have some new books to share with you. So we will get started with the usual housekeeping information, and then we will get into the episode. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Book Bistro Podcast. There we have our usual Facebook page where we keep track of our Wednesday reads and also post information about the Friday episodes. We also have a Facebook listener group that you're welcome to join. And if you prefer a different type of listener group, you can contact us and ask about our WhatsApp group. Both groups are pretty small, not super high traffic, and we would love to have you. If you want to get in touch with us off of social media, you can do so by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for our main hosting page where you can find information on the podcatchers that make Book Bistro available to you, you can find that information in our show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon. And today I am joined by author Julia Argy, and we are talking about her novel, The One, which comes out in the U.S. today, April 18th. I'm actually talking to you on your release day. Julia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Can we start with just a short introduction to The One so that listeners have a bit of an idea what to expect if they haven't had a chance to read the blurb or haven't been made aware of any of the pre-publication buzz? Sure. So the book is set on a reality dating show called The One, and it follows Emily, who is a contestant on one of these shows over the course of a season. And she is not a reality dating show aficionado, so she comes in kind of um, unaware of all of the different things that will be happening, and she's torn between what the producer wants from her, what the lead wants, and also her relationship with the other contestants on the show. And so it follows her, as they say on the show, journey. as she enters this new environment. I am always so happy when I see books that do the whole like reality TV thing. I think for so long, reality TV has been a huge part of people's lives and entertainment. And I love that it's kind of melding now 
with books. Like I see a lot of romances set on reality TV shows. Like there's some really good YA set um, that way. And I just, I, I love it so much. Yeah. It's definitely a huge part of our culture. It seems like every you know, week there's either a new season of a show or a new show entirely. And it makes sense that it started to seep into literature as an institution, um, as opposed to usually you hear about like book to movie or book to TV adaptation. Now it's like TV to book adaptation more or less. Yeah. Yes. And it's either like, I feel like you either have like cooking um, cooking shows or dating shows. I've seen a couple like home renovation shows done um, in books. And I think there's even been a couple of those kind of like survivor-esque kind of things covered. So it's just, it's so much fun. I'm so glad that literature is expanding in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely part of why I picked the setting is because it's just a really like engaging place to have storylines unravel, which is, I think, part of the reason these shows are so successful in the first place. I was actually just going to ask you kind of what prompted you to dip your toe into this whole like reality TV themed novel. Sure. So I was longtime viewer of reality television shows especially the dating variety um ah uh, yes like the so I, I don't know if you've ever heard of these they're very niche um but longtime watcher um of the bachelor bachelorette love is blind love island um uk especially and so i was in graduate school for fiction writing and knew i wanted to write a novel and i had this big question mark in front of me about, you know, a novel can be anything. It can have any amount of characters and be set over any amount of time. And as a, you know, beginner at something, that's a very scary prospect. And so I thought to myself, oh, what if I, you know, took something I'm already familiar with that has a set number of characters and a set length of time and tried to use that as a container to shape these ideas that I'm interested in. So it worked for me kind of at a baseline craft level as a, you know, way to think about this project of writing my debut novel. And then on the level of the idea, I was really interested in, you know, what our communal obsession with these shows says about our culture? What does it say that you know, there are so many iterations of these and people keep watching. Why are we all so enthralled by what is kind of repetitive and barely based in reality, but we're all still so (laughs) tuned into it. Um, So I was interested in that and it felt like those were a really good, you know, mashup in terms of both the ideas that I'm thinking about in the novel and also the setting. I find myself wondering why we call it reality TV when, as you say, it's, it's not really reality, like at at its core. Yeah, there is something kind of strangely novel-esque about it that I realized as I was writing where there's an arc to every season and their main characters and the producers on the show are very clearly trying to, you know, 
create interesting scenes. Sometimes as a writer, you don't know what to do. And you're like, what if I just throw all of these characters in a room together and see what happens? It feels like the producers on the reality show are doing the same thing that I was doing in writing this novel where it's like, oh, I don't think, you know, Betsy and Tabitha like each other. Let's stick them in a hotel room for three days and see what comes, see what comes up. There is this, you know, story aspect that is artificial, but also I think part of why they're so successful at being engaging is that they're very conscious of creating compelling arcs, which is not particularly like what most people's day-to-day quote-unquote reality is. Hopefully not. Yes. I don't want to be stuck in a room with Tabitha for days on end. That sounds really, I, it seems like anyone would have interpersonal conflict in the confines of being put on a reality television show. That seems like an innate part of the process. So do you think that people kind of buy into this line between like it's kind of reality, but also kind of contrived? Like, is there a like something right in that intersection that somehow appeals to people? Or do you think people really like get into it and kind of let it sweep them away and don't really pay attention to whether it's, you know, quote unquote real? I think that's, that tension is part of the intrigue for people. So oftentimes you end up with a couple that seems really strong or a couple that straight up gets married. And one of the lingering questions is, you know, how real is what we saw and will it last in the quote unquote real world? And so that lack of sure footing for the viewer, I think is partially what spawns so much of the intrigue. It's like, you know, they seemed really good, but can they make it work? I think that question is critical to why people are so engaged. Um, So I think it's probably a little bit of both people aren't really buying that it's going to work, but also there's some hope that, you know, maybe some couples are successful and can stay together long-term. But I'm not, I'm not sure there's fully like, I believe that this is a documentary or like this is totally fictionalized because some people do stay together for, you know, multiple years. And that seems like successful in my book, you know, not all, if you were to go on, you know, 20 random dates off an app and you ended up with someone for a few years, I would be like, okay, that seemed to have worked out pretty well. Right. I think I was meaning more sort of the things that go on, you know, during the course of a season. So like some of those interpersonal dramas that, you know, may or may not have come up if the producers, you know, hadn't sort of, um, what is the word I want, sort of manufactured them or like incited them. Yeah. So I think part of what happens on these shows is this pressure cooker environment where you're trapped together. You often don't have access to family or friends other type of media to distract you. You can't leave the premises. And so you're basically at the whim of these producers. And I did some research listening to behind the scenes podcasts of former contestants going and doing interviews. And no one says that they lose their free will. No one is like, I was forced to do this. As far as I've Mm -hmm. come across, everyone says, you know, you still have free will, but you're 
pressured to do things by the nature of the environment where, you know, you might not otherwise interact like that in real life. I think that is where a lot of the drama is manufactured is this line between coercion, manipulation, and just the intensity of being in an environment with all of these strangers. That's kind of a competition 24-7 where you're being watched 24-7 and don't have your daily freedoms. I think anyone put into that circumstance would probably act in a way that they would, you know, go back to their real life and be like, what was I thinking? That that was not how I would have behaved otherwise. So did you learn anything particularly surprising when you were doing your research for sort of the, you know, behind the scenes bits of this book? This it's funny you ask that. The stuff that I found interesting as a novelist and the details that I ended up thinking were the most compelling were the most random details about how these shows are made. I think I heard once that if you are um, trying to read a magazine or if you have like a branded lipstick or deodorant, it either has to be hidden or blanked out with all of the brands because they don't want to be offering free advertisements to like other entities outside the production. And I was like, it's, and that's the kind of artificiality I was interested in. It's like a bubble where, you know, nothing exists outside the show. And what does that do to a person's psyche? So those tiny, tiny details that I latched onto were the ones that I was most compelled by. Cause I think it was what made the, ideally when the readers read it, um, what makes the world of the one seem true to the experience of being behind the scenes of a reality dating show. I've never done it. I've only watched them and done research. And so those were the things that I could latch onto as a writer that served the purposes of being really immersive to the experience. It's interesting. I I don't pay a lot of attention to TV just in general. Like I'm, I'm much more of a book person than a TV person. And so I do didn't really think about it that, you know, you wouldn't want to give free advertising to, you know, specific brands or companies. I do know that in fiction, often you'll see, you know, if they're talking about like a dating website or a kind of social media, you know, they won't necessarily say like, oh yeah, somebody, you know, logged into Instagram. Like they might have something that sort of sounds like Instagram, but, you know, they've given it a different name. Um, And I guess that kind of follows that same logic that you don't want to sort of endorse a specific brand or company or business model. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, in our culture, those specific tags have connotations to the viewers or to the readers that the show or the book doesn't necessarily want to be putting forth. Um, So it's all kind of hidden behind a screen to make whatever you want to be putting on the forefront, which for reality television is the relationships between the contestants and the dating. Um, You don't want that to be obscured by wondering about things that are outside the context of the bubble. Like you kind of like that isolated experience, at least in terms of getting the end goal of the show, which is a little bit of drama, a little bit of love an engagement, a marriage, whatever that is. You don't want it necessarily to be filtered through the outside world like part of the experience is this you know total immersive 
like you're in the weeds every single day of the experience. So shifting gears slightly um, away from reality TV in and of itself, but this was your debut novel. And so what about writing this novel struck you as sort of the, the most surprising or the most difficult, like the thing that you absolutely did not expect about writing this particular book? Yeah, that's such a good question. So it was my first time ever trying to write a book, a full-length novel. Before that, I had only written short stories. And so the longest the thing I had written was 20 pages. And I knew the biggest challenge for me was going to be moving from, okay, yeah, you wrote a nice 20-page story, but can you sustain a plot, a set of characters over the course of 300 pages? And I knew that was going to be the biggest problem, it was, you know, the biggest departure from what I had done in the past. And so the way I ended up tackling it was to try to give myself no pressure in terms of quality of content upon first draft or like even understanding of how a plot moves. Like I was just like, as long as I can get to 80,000 words, I will have tackled the biggest problem, which is simply a volume issue. Um, And so it's so funny you ask that because now I'm trying to be at work on my second book. And since I've done one full book, I'm like, okay, I know I can do this now. I don't have to worry about this big debut novel problem anymore, which was honestly the question of whether I can write a full length manuscript. And now that question has been answered with the one. I feel so much more peace of mind. I'm like, okay, I did it once. I know I can do it again. If I work hard enough, take enough time, I know I can do it again. Is writing the second book at all intimidating for you? I've heard, you know, some people say like they know they did it once and yet they still, you know, kind of wonder like, what if it was a fluke? I, (laughs) hopefully you're not, you know, spreading seeds of discontent in my mind. I haven't thought that yet. (laughs) No, I haven't thought that yet. I've only felt that I could do better this time. <laughs> That's how that my love that. take. It's like, okay, I did it once. It will be easier the second time. At least I have some experience doing this. Um, so that's the positive approach I've taken so far. Who's to say if it will really work? But I do feel like knowing that I have written a book and feeling like if I write you know, 500 words a day for X number of days, it will become long enough to be a book and I can fix it from there. But the initial fear I was having, which is, you know, whether I could write a full length novel or whether I was stuck at short stories um, in terms of volume of pages I could write, that has gone and that has really alleviated my, my main concern. That's awesome. I am by nature just a very anxious person. And so it's always sort of my like go-to like, okay, yeah, this worked this time, but what what if it doesn't again? And so I'm always happy when I hear, you know, that other people don't necessarily like fall into that trap. Not yet, at least. I'm sure it will happen to me eventually where I'm going to get to the end of my first draft, I'm going to reread it and I'm going to be like, well, I don't know, this is salvageable. <laughs> um, I'm going to have a bit of a reckoning moment, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm still in a good place with it. 
Well, I will be keeping my fingers crossed that that positive attitude is able to sustain you, even if, you know, things end up feeling difficult in, in places. Yeah, no, I'm hopeful as well. So we know a little bit about who you are as a writer, but who are you as a reader? What what are the things, the genres, the types of books that you find yourself drawn to? Yeah, so I've always been really omnivorous when it comes to reading. I read most everything. I would say probably the bulk of what I do read is contemporary literary fiction because that is what I write but I also read romance novels I read YA I read fantasy I could just keep listing genres I read nonfiction the only things that I don't super dive into unless I have a reason to pick up like a the, the nonfiction books that are subject-based as opposed to memoirs or essay collections unless I yes. have a need for subject-based learning I'm not just picking up random books to learn new things so those I stay away from and then um not on purpose just because I don't often have a need to read them and then because I am a wimp I can only handle so many thrillers I get I, um, I genuinely get too scared sometimes so I have to like read reviews in advance and make sure I'll be able to like be at my tolerance level for scary stuff in like, books it's over your sort of limit of like how much thrill um you can you can make at any given time yeah I think I'm like at a mild to moderate but like the serious stuff I totally understand the appeal of but I I personally am too freaked out especially since I read before bed often I'm like I can't I can't live like this I won't be able to fall asleep I was reading a romantic spence uh book when I was in college and I came across this scene where these people were discussing how cats would eat a dead body like even if it was their their owner and that has stayed with me you know it's been 20 years since I read that book and as a person who shares her life with cats like that particular little nugget of whatever you want to call that trivia um in a very scary romantic suspense book has just like stayed with me forever yeah, there's only so much of of that I can tolerate. And and it's it's not high, I have to admit. But I think otherwise I do read pretty widely and I like to feel like you know, I'm not stuck in the rut and I can shift pretty easily between tones and um types of material. So what have you read recently that you think the world should know about? I'm going to answer something that is embarrassing for me but I read Persuasion by Jane Austen for the first time ever and it totally rocked my world the world already knows about Persuasion by Jane Austen it is like arguably one of her most critically acclaimed novels it's like a favorite true Um, but I read it for the first time and I agree with everyone and they were right and it was amazing it's funny. My brother um, texted me when he was on a plane recently telling me that he had watched one of the Pride and Prejudice adaptations for the first time. Like that was the movie they were showing on the plane. And he's like, sister, do you love Jane Austen? And I'm like, um, no, <laughs> I've tried, but I've just never quite managed to, um, to, to, like her her writing style just doesn't gel with me. And yet I know so many people love her. And I know that 
her work is foundational for, you know, women writers and sort of this whole look into the ways in which, you know, women lived. And I always find myself kind of wishing that I had a bit of a different relationship with Austin. Yeah. I I mean, there are writers like that for every, every reader and writer, like where you're like, I've never, never cut on, but best of luck to you. But for, for myself who have read other Jane Austen books, I was like, suddenly you're reporting back to all your friends being like, have you tried this thing called ice cream? It's really good. <laughs> like, yeah, we've all tried ice cream. Like you, one of the most famous desserts. Jane Austen is one of the most famous writers. Most people like it. It's true. Well, we are running out of time and I definitely do not want to keep you from your next interview, but I do want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your busy schedule, especially right on the day that your book is out in the world. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yes, it's a very good way to spend my pub day talking to other book lovers. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Before I let you dash off, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Yeah, I have a website. It's my first name and last name, Julia Argy, A-R-G-Y dot com. And you can reach me there. I'm also newly on Instagram at Julia G Argy. So you will see one of my five posts, brand new. (laughs) And I have to ask you, but when you post on Instagram, do you describe your Instagram photos? I don't. Why? I don't particularly, I, I don't understand the question. Ah, so for people who can't see pictures, Instagram is in general kind of inaccessible. Like if I log into Instagram, being a person who's blind, I'll see these things and they'll say things to me like, image may contain outdoor sea and sky. <laughs> and I'm like, great. So did someone take a picture of the ocean? Like what, what is this? And so a lot of times people will write like underneath their post, they'll do like ID for image description and then say, you know, this is a picture of my husband and I, you know, hanging out on a beach, blah, 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 whatever, you know, they want to say. And it then allows me and other people who cannot either actually see or who have disabilities that keep them from interpreting visual information to to understand kind of what people are putting um, out on social media. Got it. I, my first five posts don't, but I will do it for my later ones. Thank you for letting me know. (laughs) Accessibility for the win. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. So once again, this has been a discussion with debut author Julia Argy about her novel, The One, which was published in the U.S. today, April 18th. All right. So as always, I'm starting with some books that you've heard us talk about previously on our most anticipated releases of September episode. There are only two of these this week. We have one of Robin's most anticipated September releases, A Nobleman's Guide to Seducing a Scoundrel. This is Doomsday Books, book two, by K.J. Charles. We then have kind of a dark horror novel, 
A Prayer for Vengeance by Leanne Schwartz. And this is a book that Brooke was looking forward to. So now I'm going to move on to some things that you haven't heard us talk about before. And I'm starting this out with The Last Devil to Die. This is Thursday Murder Club, book four by Richard Osman. This is a delightful, delightful series um, set in a retirement village in the UK. I really have enjoyed it. These characters are amazing. Um, Definitely the kind of grandparents I think we would all love to have. So this is The Last Devil to Die. Thursday Murder Club, book four, by Richard Oseman. We then have Murder in the Family by Kara Hunter. And she had written a series of books um, featuring a detective inspector. And this is a series that I've never read, but I am interested in checking out her standalones. And this one might be a good place to start. It is A Murder in the Family by Kara Hunter. We then have How to Find a Missing Girl by Victoria Wolosik. And this is about a sapphic detective agency that turns their attention to discovering what happened to a group of missing girls. This is How to Find a Missing Girl by Victoria Wolosik. We then have Bright Young Women. This is the latest by Jessica Noel. And you might remember her. She wrote um, The Luckiest Girl Alive several years ago now. It was a huge, huge book um, when it came out. And I think there was some talk about it possibly being made into a movie. But um, it definitely like gave her a huge boost in terms of like the amount of attention um, that future books of hers were given. So this is her third book and it is called Bright Young Women. And again, it is by Jessica Noel. We also have Murder at Midnight. This is a Lily Adler mystery by Catherine Shellman. It is a historical mystery and it is by um, an author that I have recently fallen in love with. She wrote a series of books. There are two of them so far that take place in the 1920s. And I really want to check these out. Um, these are set in a different historical period, but I just really like her writing voice and the way she makes her historical mysteries like really spark with both historical detail and just a really good eye for suspense. So this, once again, is Murder at Midnight. It's a Lily Adler mystery, book four, by Catherine Shellman. Moving on now to some romance. I want to talk about Love the Way You Lie. This is Masters and Mercenaries, New Recruits, book one, by Lexi Blake. And Lexi Blake is pretty popular here. I know Kristen has read some of her stuff. Stacy and Sarah both really enjoy her. I have one of her small town romances um, checked out from my public library currently, although I have not read it yet. 
Um, Lexi Blake is also known for writing with she- uh, Shayla Black. So if you're familiar with Shayla Black, you might have heard of Blake as well. So this is a spinoff of one of her very, very popular um, erotica series. And this is kind of like romantic suspense with some erotica thrown in. It is Love the Way You Lie, Masters and Mercenaries, New Recruits by Lexi Blake. Next up is Cleat Cute. This is by Meryl Wilsner. Um, Her debut novel was something to talk about. And this is now her third. It is a contemporary female-female sports romance. And once again, it is Cleat Cute by Meryl Wilsner. If you're looking for something with a bit of horror, I want to tell you about Black Sheep. This is by Rachel Harrison. And Rachel Harrison has written some truly terrifying things. Um, Her debut novel, The Return, had some really freaky scenes in it that I will remember forever and ever. Um, And I'm not a huge horror fan, but I do really enjoy her writing. She also wrote Cackle. Um, she's got a collection of like short stories, a couple of novellas. So she's definitely someone to check out if you're looking for something dark and creepy as we head into the fall. This is Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. Moving on now to fantasy. I want to talk about Magical Midlife Battle. This is Leveling Up, book eight by K.F. Breen. K.F. Breen is a favorite of Brooks. And I think Mika has also read and liked some of her stuff. Leveling Up is a paranormal women's fiction series. So the heroine is over 40. And K.F. Breen is one of the sort of I don't know, like founding mothers of this sort of subgenre. So this once again is Magical Midlife Battle, Leveling Up, Book 8 by K.F. Breen. We also have The Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic by Brianne Randall. And this is described as practical magic meets Gilmore Girls, which is a comparison that I've heard a few times now. Um, We're hearing a lot of like, if Gilmore Girls had witches, or, you know, um, picture a magical star as hollow. So it is a description that I'm hearing a lot. And yet I'm finding that people are managing to be pretty on point with it. So if you love the Gilmore Girls, but you wish that it had some magic, this might be something to check out. And it, once again, is The Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic by Brienne Randall. Next up, we have Hex of the Witch, This is Other Witch, book one by Heather G. Harris. This looks like it is going to be a Kindle-only release, um, a new urban fantasy series. It looks like it's going to be um, a little bit lighter than some, 
um, perhaps along the lines of like Juliet Cross. Um, I don't think quite as humorous as Molly Harper, um, but definitely on the lighter end of the urban fantasy spectrum. And this is Hex of the Witch, Other Witch, book one by Heather G. Harris. Next up, we have some young adult fantasy. First up is A Study in Drowning. This is by Ava Reed, and it is a love letter to fairy tales. And it kind of reminds us of some of the things that are lost in popular retellings. So I'm pretty intrigued by this. Now, some things that are billed as love letters to fairy tales don't work as well for me, um, like Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. I know a lot of people loved, and I liked it well enough, but it was not, I don't know, it wasn't earth shattering for me. But I do want to give this one a try. I've heard um, a lot of good things about Ava Reed's writing. So this is A Study in Drowning, and again, it is by Ava Reed. We also have The Forest Grimm out this week. It is Forest Grimm, book one by Catherine Purdy. And Kristen has talked about um, another book of hers, uh, I think sometime last year for one of our monthly picks episodes. So this is young adult fantasy, definitely lots of magic, a little bit of romance, some betrayal, and some darkness in terms of like things lurking in a forest. I kind of wonder if this might as well have a little bit of a fairy tale vibe, but I, I can't say that for sure. It's just a guess I have. So this is Forest Grimm, Forest Grimm, book one by Catherine Purdy. Finishing up young adult fantasy, I want to talk about Champion of Fate. This is The Hero Maker, book one by Kandari Blake. And this is an author who is incredibly versatile, um, writing anything from like epic YA fantasy to straight up horror, um, some ghosts, some family betrayal, all kinds of things thrown in. And this is a book that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. Um, I really liked his Three Dark Queens, or I'm sorry, Three Dark Crowns series. So I'm excited to see what this one is. This is Champion of Fate, and it is Hero Maker, book one by Kandari Blake. And last up for me is The Only Girl in Town. This is by Ali Kondai. And you may remember her. She wrote a dystopian series called Matched several years ago. Well, now she is coming back to us and we've got a contemporary YA. So this is a story about grief and loss and the ways in which relationships change. But not only do they change like in their overall form, but they change us, the people that are involved in those relationships. So this, once again, is The Only Girl in Town, and it is a contemporary young adult novel by Ali Condi. And that brings me to the end of this particular episode. 
I hope all of you are enjoying some cooler weather as we get into fall. At least we get into fall here in my part of the country. We are coming up on some really big fall books. I love as we turn, you know, from September into October, there's just so many great things coming out. And I will be here to tell you about them in the coming weeks. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.